Let's, uh, let's continue on together. <laughs> so, we are in, or we're going to start a brand new teaching series this morning, or this ah, that's the first time I've said this morning, it may or not be the last time. This afternoon or this evening, we start a teaching series called Sketches. And the series called Sketches is set in the second half of the book of 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament. It's about a fifth of the way through the Bible. And we're going to spend probably a couple of terms in the second half of the book of 1 Samuel, uh, looking particularly at the life of a young man called David. You might know the story. David was chosen to be king and then spent a number of years being trained through some pretty tough circumstances to be king. Uh, 1 Samuel was set in the Bronze Age, about 1000 B.C., And it's a very ancient story in that sense, but it's also a very, very modern story. The story of David has huge amounts to teach us about some of the challenges and the things, the opportunities we face today. It's an ancient story, but I promise you it's a very, very modern story as well. It's an awful lot for us to learn. And the series is called Sketches because the story of David has something of the feel of the work of an artist. And by that, I mean this. As you look closely at a work of art, let's say a skillful sketch perhaps, the more closely you look and the more you gaze, you begin to see new things, yeah? The more you look at a work of art, you begin to see new meaning and so forth. You begin to see detail behind a sketch that moves us and inspires us, the more that we gaze and look at it. And so it is, I think, with this series. The more that we gaze at each sketch of the chapter, we're going to go chapter by chapter quite carefully, the more that we look at each chapter, each sketch, some of which will be very, very familiar to you. Most of us will know something of the story of David and Goliath, for example. But some of the sketches will be much less familiar to you. But the more that you look, the more that we gaze together at each one, God's going to show us something about himself, and he's going to show us something about you, something about you and I. In other words, this series is partly about looking closely at the sketch of this amazing story and seeing something of what you're like in there. Seeing something of the person you love to be and primarily as well seeing something of what God is like as we look behind some of the characters and the events of this story. Because ultimately, the story of David, this kind of set of chapters from chapter 16 to the end of 1 Samuel, is kind of like a chapter in itself. So it's almost like a one chapter in itself, and it's part of the big story of the Bible, part of the big story of history, a story of God and people coming together in a relationship of love. So we're going to look at each of these chapters week by week. And chapter 16 is where we're going to be uh, this evening, if you have your Bibles, but it's going to be on the screen as well. Chapter 16 is where we're going to begin. And in chapter 16, we land in the moment where the previous king, or the current king, the current king, I should say, has been rejected by God. And a guy called Samuel, God's prophet, God's messenger, has been sent to anoint or choose the new king. That's the the space in which we land. So I'm going to read chapter 16 and verses 1 to 13 for you. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king of Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If if Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you, a cow of some sort, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
and then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. for We will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and, beautiful and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him into the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So, as I mentioned, we're going to look into the story, the sketch, if you like, of the story. And we're going to see, I believe, something of God and something of ourselves. And the big idea this week is we're going to particularly look at Samuel and then David. And as we do that, we're going to see something specific. We're going to see specifically how it is that God defines our value and worth. And we're going to see something of ourselves. We're going to see something of God. We're going to see how it is that God defines your value and worth. And you probably could have maybe spotted the key verse that's going to be our focus. Verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So, we'll start with Samuel, and then we'll go to David. So, Samuel's been sent, as you probably could have gathered, to the, to the home of a well-to-do man, a man called Jesse, in Bethlehem. That, that town may ring a bell. And he's, trying to, he's going to see who of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king, because the current one has been rejected. Now, I want you to bear in mind, Samuel has been here before. This is not a new scenario for Samuel. A number of years ago, he did a very similar thing. He went and he was uh, guided by God to choose and anoint the first king. The previous king was also the first king of Israel, a man called Saul. And chapter 9 of 1 Samuel describes Saul like this. Saul was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. 
It's the way that Saul was described, and he was anointed and chosen as king. The point is, Saul seemed to have all of the right external credentials to be king. He was very tall, which is key in that time in terms of warfare, having a wingspan, being able to sweep your swords. He's extremely good-looking, impressive, able warrior king. I don't know what he looked like, but I'm going to speculate that he looked maybe something like Aragorn, Tolkien's character in Lord of the Rings, as depicted uh, in, the, in the films. Now, we do know, roughly, from historical evidence, that Saul probably would have had a beard, may have had longer hair. So I don't think this is too far removed from the kind of very impressive man that Saul appeared to be. I was going to get a, a picture of Jason Stocks and show that instead, but it didn't, <laughs> just didn't have quite the same ring about it. However, after a very, very promising start, and it is a promising start, Saul's story is it's a bit of a, it's a tragic one, really. It really is a tragic one. Saul had so much potential, so much potential in so many ways, and yet by the time we get to chapter 16, Saul has deteriorated rapidly. He really has, not externally. Still a very impressive looking guy, I think, by all accounts. But he has deteriorated internally. His internal character has been shown to be nowhere near as impressive as his external appearance. And Saul's been, Saul's been uh, shown to be vulnerable to people-pleasing. He gives in to fear. He gets angry. He disobeys God. And ultimately, God decides enough is enough. We can't have a king like this. And he decides that we need a new king. And the point is that Samuel has lived through all of that. Not just the choosing of Saul, but all of the heartache that has come from Saul's pretty disastrous kingship. In fact, we're told in the text that Samuel has been grieving for years. Such is his heartache at what Saul has done to the nation of Israel. So, you would think, would you not, that if anyone would be cautious about choosing the next king based upon impressive external appearance, it would be Samuel, wouldn't it? And not so. Samuel gets Jesse to line up all his sons, some kind of male catwalk it seems to be, or something similar, and the first one comes through, young man called Eliab, you saw in the text, and Eliab is clearly another very impressive, tall, able-looking young man. Tall, muscular, good-looking. Again, he would have been very able in battle, and that was key, because at that time, warfare was just a, was a given. So you needed a king who could lead people into battle. And if he was tall, he was going to have a big reach and be able to wield his sword effectively. And Eliab was also the eldest son. So in that culture, the culture of primogeniture, the priority of the eldest son was huge. Eliab would have had significant standing in that culture. He, would have, he was going to go on to receive the bulk of the inheritance, which seems a bit unfair, but that's how it was to be done. He would have been honored, particularly as the eldest son. He was kind of the guy in Jesse's family who was going to be set up to succeed. And Samuel, we're told in the text, thinks to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is the guy. Looks the part, doesn't he? Skilled in battle. He's the oldest. Impressive looking. People are going to flock to his leadership. This is, this is the one. Easy. Job done. Samuel is dazzled by Eliab's external appearance. You know, people can sometimes suggest that the Bible is really kind of out of date. 
that is irrelevant. It's about kind of Bronze Age, backward people. You know, come on, we've moved on since then. I wonder, I wonder if that's the case when it comes to this issue. Do we not still prioritize external appearance over heart or character? Um, last Saturday, Caroline, my wife and I, we went to our first NCT class. If you know our NCT, it's a brilliant national charity that uh, helps new-to-be parents on these antenatal courses. And so we walked into this little uh, church hall, and there's a few seats kind of in a circle, and you sort of sit down, you don't know anybody, it's all a little bit awkward. Now, maybe I'm just shallow, Maybe you don't do this and I'm just a little bit shallow. But what did I do in the first few seconds of sitting in this little circle facing these new people? I, I made an assessment pretty quickly on what these people are like. Are they, am I going to get on with them? Are they, are, they, are they like me? I wonder what they're like. I made all those mental assessments in the first few seconds based on what? External appearances. I kind of did a bit of a Samuel, I suppose, as Eliab and his brothers stood before me if you like, I made an assessment on what they were like based on external appearances. There was an article in the uh, Telegraph uh, on, online that, that I saw uh, all about how to pass the seven-second test. whole article explaining that you've got seven seconds on something like a first date or a business meeting or a, a meeting of some significance. You've basically got seven seconds to, to, to give the requisite impression to kind of pass muster. And the whole article is about how to pass seven-second test. Basically, what to do to ensure that the external appearance you present does the job. Now, you might say, okay, fair enough, you, Philip, you know, you've made your point. Don't judge a book by its cover. It's not about external appearances. Fair enough, I, I get it. But I think if that's all we think, I'm not sure we've realized just how, how deep we are. I think we are, as a culture, in a lot deeper when it comes to this issue than we realize. If you could put the next slide up, Carly, it'd be great. I wonder if you saw this uh, newspaper front page earlier on this year. Any of you came across that? Nicola uh, Sturgeon and Theresa May. So these are two national leaders, highly capable people, having high-level, extremely significant uh, talks of a national historic nature. And it was their appearance that was commented on. Why? Because it sells papers. It's not just some naive editor. This, this sells papers. So we now have a culture, do we not, in which politicians, this is one example, politicians who I think we can all agree, we need politicians who we need to be bright, compassionate, wise, high-capacity people, full of integrity and conviction, and they are more and more, if not selected for their appearance, then certainly judged in part on their appearance. More and more, the worth of the value of argument and idea is being diminished by image and appearances. I like Facebook, I like Instagram, but it's interesting that you can see Instagram becoming more and more popular, uh, more than Facebook. Why? Because it's the immediacy of images. We communicate more and more and get our meaning and even value and worth from images. Let me just push a bit more on that, a bit more seriously perhaps. We have a, a culture, it seems, in which kids and teenagers are growing up more and more convinced, inherently, that it is in their appearance that their value and worth is to be found. I used to be a, I used to be a teacher for a while, and I think people were aware of that was a particular challenge for girls. It has been for a long time, but it, more and more for boys as well. A recent survey by the BBC. Sorry, the BBC reported a recent survey which said that eating disorders, dieting, and extreme exercising are as much of a problem for UK secondary school boys as they are for girls. 
Now, hear me, I'm not knocking being active, not knocking keeping in shape or eating well or being creative about what we wear um, or any, anything like that. In fact, David, we're told, you see that in the text, David is a very handsome young man. So we're not dismissing any of those good things. But what I'm saying is surely we are not as different in 2017 to 1000 BC as you might like to think. In fact, I go a bit further than that and say, I wonder whether there's ever been a culture like ours which has elevated external appearance so much as ours has done. At which point you might say, okay, kind of with you to an extent. I, I understand that. In fact, I think I, I'm aware of these dangers. I think I'm, you know, I don't think I'm going to fall foul to things that newspapers are doing or the way that media might be presenting things. This is not really a much of a challenge for me. I'm aware of it, but it's not my own challenge. Fine. I would just say, listen, Samuel was God's faithful servant for many, many years. Wise, wise, godly man. And he had witnessed the terrible events that had led from elevating external appearances over internal character in a king. And yet he still essentially chose Eliab based on appearance. So what I'm saying is, if Samuel can make this mistake, then I would gently suggest so can all of us. We all, in these moments, need to feel the weight, and I would say the beauty, of what God says to Samuel in that verse seven. You see, God brings a whole new definition to the value and the worth of human beings. Verse seven, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, internals over externals. So question for us, is your heart or your character, you might wanna say, is that your priority over and above appearance? Is it your priority in how you view others? For those of you who like to get married, Think about that, my marriage is a wonderful desire. What's your priority, appearance or heart? Or to put it a different way, beauty or character? You might say both, of course, both, equally both. What's the priority and what's the thing that's gonna last? What's the thing that's gonna probably deteriorate and what's the thing that's gonna potentially grow more and more beautiful and glorious into eternity even? I think mean, our culture's obsession with appearance over character is, is a destructive thing. It's destructive for women. It's destructive for those who are aging, for the elderly. I've never been a culture like ours. I don't think that prioritizes youth and youthful appearance. It could be destructive for, for men. They just push a bit further. Pornography is destructive in, in many, many ways. One of the reasons why porn is so destructive is because it trains men to literally view women the opposite to how God does them. Actually wires our brains to view God, to view people in the opposite way that God looks at them. Just to, if I can slightly misquote Martin Luther King. We're expecting a, a baby, as I just said. I have a dream. <laughs> that our unborn child will be, not be judged on the purity and beauty of their skin, but on the content of their character. And God is here to redefine how we see humanity. 
And maybe it's not physical beauty that would be the, the kind of challenge spot for you this evening. Maybe it's the appearance of, of having all your ducks in a row, being in control. The appearance of being amongst the right kind of people. The appearance of having children who are well-behaved and successful and on the right track. God sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Are you starting to see what I mean about this, about this book? Why I've called it Sketches? Because as you look closely at the sketches of the characters and the events, you look kind of almost behind them. We see something of God, what he's like, and we see something of ourselves including the kind of flourishing people that he's called us to be when we see ourselves and people as he does, as he's intended. So let's now just turn our attention to David in this sketch. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, about the story of David, it's, it's easy. I found it kind of easy when I was exploring this. I found it easy to, to sort of see David as the man he became like a future set of sketches. He became the most famous king in Israel's history, an amazing, victorious warrior. People wrote songs about him. He's famous throughout the known world. His psalms now echo all the way through into today's uh, Christian worlds. But that is not who David is in this chapter, in this sketch. Have you ever had the experience, maybe back in school days, of teams are being picked, and people are being picked left and right, and you're still left, and you're thinking, please, don't, don't pick me last. I, I don't mind being second to last, but just not last. Some of us have had that, it's a painful, painful memory. That's David's experience. He's the one that's not picked, the one that's left out. His father, his own father, Jesse, ensures that the seven sons are present. And when Samuel says to him, Jesse, the king is not amongst these seven. Is, have you got any other? Have you got any other sons? Jesse says, oh, <laughs> there remains the youngest, but he's out with the sheep. Jesse doesn't say, oh, of course, of course, there's David, of course, there's David, yeah, David. David, David could be the one. David, can someone send David? That's not what Jesse says. He says, there's the youngest one, but he's with the sheep. Some commentators commentator suggest that the, the Hebrew text in which this was originally written, the, the word for youngest would even more be uh, accurately translated as, as the smallest and that the colloquial English version of that is kind of like the runt, the runt of the litter. That's the kind of disdain with which Jesse is speaking of, of David. Everything about Jesse's attitude towards David communicates to him that he's not included. He's not wanted, he's not valued. And yet God says, I, I choose him. I choose you. I want you. And God's choice of David is not simply a, a one-off act of kindness. It's telling us something really important about what he's like. If we look closely at it, telling us something really important about what God is like. You see, time and time again, throughout the story of the Bible, God chooses people that others don't. The others wouldn't. 
The firstborn sons, the impressive women, time and time again, they don't get chosen. God overturns over and over again cultural expectations of who should be acknowledged and chosen. He chooses Isaac and not firstborn Ishmael. He chooses barren Sarah and not dazzling Hagar. He chooses Jacob and not Esau. He chooses plain Leah and not beautiful uh, Rachel. He chooses a coward in Gideon. Chooses a murderer in Paul. The list goes on and on. God constantly draws those people out who would either be excluded or would exclude themselves. It's what God is like. He draws people who are on the edge. Those not expecting to be included in the family of God. Sometimes those not even wanting to be included in the family of God. That might be you here this evening. Either you exclude yourself or you feel you are excluded. You need to hear this evening. Part of the nature of God is he loves nothing more than to overturn the way that culture or we think about ourselves and people and say, I do want you. I do choose you. I want you in my family. That's the nature of who he is. And what's more, not only is God's deliberate invitation, and to be a Christian is to respond to the deliberate invitation of God. It's not to sneak in the back door when he wasn't looking. If you're a Christian here this evening, you responded to a deliberate invitation of God. Some of you are like, oh, of course, <laughs> me. Others of us, we need to hear that over and over again. He didn't sneak in, and he wasn't looking. He made the decision before even time itself, I want you in my family. And so it's not based on how impressive our reputation is, or what we look like. And ultimately, his choice, his choosing, his invitation of us isn't even based on what our character or our heart is like either. At which point you might say, well, hang on a minute, I thought, I thought what we've been saying is God chose David because he had a good heart, good internal character. I thought that's what we've been saying for the last 20 minutes. Character is more important than appearance, and that's what we need. You might say, I know my Bible. It says in chapter 13 that God chose David because in David, quotes, he had found a man after his own heart. So are we not saying that it is about your character and your heart? If you know anything about the story of David, you will know this is not a man with a perfect heart. It's not a human with a perfect character. This is the man who goes on to sleep with his friend's wife and then has his friend killed to cover it up. This is the man who turned into a pretty dreadful father himself in many ways. God doesn't choose David because he has the best heart or the best character. God chooses David because he loves him. And when you become a Christian, you're responding to the invitation of a God who loves you. To be a Christian is to respond to the loving initiative. It is not simply to be accepted. Though we talk about the acceptance of God, but acceptance is only kind of a, just touches the edge of how God feels. Acceptance is like, yeah, you can, you can come. It's not only about having our slate wiped clean from all of the 
the muck and the grime that we do and has been done to us, wonderful though that is, to be a Christian is to be adopted. It's to say, I choose you to be in my family, to have a seat at my royal table, and to know me as your father forever. And to be given a new heart. That's one of the ways the Bible describes what it is to be a Christian, is to be given a new heart. It says, actually, it's like being a new person all over again. Jesus says, it's like being spiritually reborn into a new person. And as we close, I want us to see how God does that. How God allows us to be spiritually reborn, that we might be a new person with a new heart, sat at his family table, able to get to know him and to be changed by him forever. How does he do that? Time and time again, if you're with us through this series, you look at each chapter, each sketch, and you'll see over and over again, as we look closely, there's another figure in the background all the time. There's another figure in the background that often David is pointing to, being pointed to someone else. Another child born in Bethlehem. Another young man who spent his younger years in faithful obscurity, who was also rejected by his own family. Jesus Christ, who on the cross was not just forgotten by his father, but forsaken by his father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus Christ left the beauty and the perfection and the wonder of heaven and became a human being with, Isaiah 53 tells us, no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in him that we should desire him. Jesus was deemed to be of so little value and worth that they hung him naked on a cross until his physical appearance had been savaged beyond recognition almost. In order that you and I might know what true beauty is. The true beauty of knowing God and knowing how God sees you. Loved, chosen, and just like David, called out into purpose and destiny. I wonder if uh, Jamie could come and join me and help us to respond. And In a moment, I'm going to ask us to, to think about how we respond to what God's saying. We haven't got much room. Often we ask people just to come to the front and be prayed for. We haven't got much room. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if that's all right, in a moment, if you want to respond to what God is saying. I'm just going to ask you to stand, and I'll just pray over those of you that do, and then we'll continue to respond in our own other ways by worshiping. You see, God is seeking people out, drawing people to himself, are people who will say, however impressive I might appear, and let's remember, David appeared very impressive and was also very skillful and talented. Or people who might say, however marginalized or excluded or worthless I might sometimes feel or have been told that I am, which is also David's experience. God's asking, looking, inviting people to respond to him so I respond again to your love. I'm melted again by the love of Jesus that I see in the gospel. And if you want to respond by saying, I don't want to define myself or anyone else by physical beauty or impressive credentials again. I want you just, just to stand in a moment to make a, a tangible response, a line in the sand. You might want to say, I want to become the kind of internally great person 
that God has called me to be. A character that flourishes, a heart that is after his own heart. That's you, I want you to stand in a moment. And before you do that, I want you to recognize how this process takes place of this internal character of ours, this internal greatness of ours that God is calling out of us like he did with David. I want you to notice how that process happens. It's the final verse of our passage. Verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And notice, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Holy Spirit came to abide, to be with David. That is what caused him to become something towards the kind of person God had him to be. Not perfect, I've already told you. (laughs) But I'm going to pray in a moment for those of you who stand, that you would know the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. That you'd know what it is to be in step with the Holy Spirit the helper, the counselor, who works on our internal character, creating something beautiful and great and majestic that will bring the kingdom of God to your life, this church's life, and this borough and city's life, and a character that will actually echo through into eternity. So if you want that, if you want to respond in that way, can I ask you to stand so I can pray? Lord God, I want to pray for, for all these people who are responding to you. And I know others will be responding in, in different ways and that you love that as well. But Heavenly Father, I particularly pray for these, those that have stood. And I ask that in these moments they would know just what David knew. Being called out into a wonderful future and purpose and destiny they would know what it is to put aside even the most impressive of appearances and they would also know what it is to put, a, put aside what it might be to be le- left out, rejected, excluded and then instead they would know the wonder of a heart after your own heart an increasingly internal beauty character something that will last into eternity We know that over the centuries it's been incredible people with incredible character who have changed the world. So I pray for a whole collection of David's men and women who know what it is to have the Holy Spirit dwell within them afresh and to generate an internal beauty that reflects you, that reflects the value and the worth that you put on humanity. And I pray for those of us who might be responding in different ways. God, I thank you that you're gracious, good, kind, that you're drawing all of us, wherever we might be at, to take another step towards you. And I pray that as we sing together now, that we would all know what it is to take a step towards you, to find you to be good. Why don't we all stand together? And we're going to sing and worship to expect God to keep us.